Before the Fellowship was the greatest story you've never heard. I'm Cameron. I'm Dan. And I'm Greg. Join us as we read and react to The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Last time, the Valar asked Feanor to give up the Silmarils in order to save the two trees, but he refused. As the Valar mourned, news came from Formanos that Melkor slayed Finway and stole the Silmarils before escaping. Today, we continue Chapter 9 of Quenta Silmarillion, beginning on page 80 of the second edition. Meanwhile, Morgoth, escaping from the pursuit of the Valar, came to the wastes of Araman. This land lay northward between the mountains of the Pelori and the Great Sea, as Avatar lay to the south. But Araman was a wider land, and between the shores and the mountains were barren plains, ever colder as the ice drew nearer. Through this region, Morgoth and Ungoliant passed in haste, and so came through the great mists of Aomir to the Helcoraxe, where the strait between Araman and Middle-earth was filled with grinding ice, and he crossed over and came back at last to the north of the Outer Lands. Together they went on, for Morgoth could not elude Ungoliant, and her cloud was still about him, and all her eyes were upon him. And they came to those lands that lay north of the Firth of Drengist. Now Morgoth was drawing near to the ruins of Angband, where his great western stronghold had been. And Ungoliant perceived his hope, and knew that here he would seek to escape from her. And she stayed him, demanding that he fulfill his promise. Blackheart, she said, I have done thy bidding, but I hunger still. What wouldst thou have more? said Morgoth. Dost thou desire all the world for thy belly? I did not vow to give thee that. I am its lord. Not so much, said Ungoliant, but thou hast a great treasure from Formanos. I will have all that. Yea, with both hands thou shalt give it. Then perforce Morgoth surrendered to her the gems that he bore with him, one by one and grudgingly, and she devoured them, and their beauty perished from the world. Huger and darker yet grew Ungoliant, but her lust was unsated. With one hand thou givest, with the left only open thy right hand. In his right hand Morgoth held close the Silmarils, and though they were locked in a crystal casket, they had begun to burn him, and his hand was clenched in pain, but he would not open it. Nay, Thou hast had thy due, for with my power that I put into thee, thy work was accomplished. I need thee no more. These things thou shalt not have, nor see. I name them unto myself forever. But Ungoliant had grown great, and he less by the power that had gone out of him. And she rose against him, and her cloud closed about him and she enmeshed him enmeshed him in a web of clinging thongs to strangle him 
Then Morgoth sent forth a terrible cry that echoed in the mountains. Therefore that region was called Lamoth, for the echoes of his voice dwelt there ever after, so that any who cried aloud in that land awoke them, and all the waste between the hills and the sea was filled with a clamor as of voices in anguish. The cry of Morgoth in that hour was the greatest and most dreadful that was ever heard in the northern world. The mountains shook and the earth trembled and rocks were riven asunder. Deep in forgotten places that cry was heard. Far beneath the ruined halls of Ongband, in vaults to which the Valar, in the haste of their assault, had not descended, Balrogs lurked still, awaiting ever the return of their lord. And now swiftly they arose, and passing over Hithlum they came to Lamoth as a tempest of fire. With their whips of flame they smote asunder the webs of Ungoliant, and she quailed and turned to flight, belching black vapors to cover her, and fleeing from the north, she went down into Beleriand, and dwelt beneath Arid Gorgoroth, in that dark valley that was after called Nan Dungortheb, the valley of dreadful death, because of the horror that she bred there. For other foul creatures of spider form had dwelt there since the days of the delving of Angband, and she mated with them and devoured them. And even after Ungoliant herself departed and went whither she would go into the forgotten south of the world. Her offspring abode there and wove their hideous webs. Of the fate of Ungoliant no tale tells. Yet some have said that she ended long ago when in her uttermost famine she devoured herself at last. And thus the fear of Yavanna that the Silmarils would be swallowed up and fall into nothingness did not come to pass, but they remained in the power of Morgoth. And he being freed, gathered again all his servants that he could find and came to the ruins of Ongband. There he delved anew his vast vaults and dungeons and above their gates he reared the threefold peaks of Thangoradrim and a great reek of dark smoke was ever wreathed about them. There countless became the hosts of his beasts and his demons, and the race of the orcs, bred long before, grew and multiplied in the bowels of the earth. Dark now fell the shadow on Beleriand, as is told hereafter, but in Ongband, Morgoth forged for himself a great crown of iron, and he called himself King of the World. In token of this, he set the Silmarils on his crown. His hands were burned black by the touch of those hallowed jewels, and black they remained ever after. Nor was he ever free from the pain of the burning and the anger of the pain. That crown he never took from his head, though its weight became a deadly weariness. Never but once only did he depart for a while secretly from his domain in the north. Seldom indeed did he leave the deep places of his fortress, but governed his armies from his northern throne. 
And once only also did he himself yield, wield weapon while his realm lasted. For now, more than in the days of Atumno, ere his pride was humbled, his hatred devoured him. And in the domination of his servants and the inspiring of them with lust of evil, he spent his spirit. Nonetheless, his majesty as one of the, one of the Valar long remained, though turned to terror. And before his face, all save the mightiest sank into a dark pit of fear. So in summary, Melkor and Ungoliant make their way toward Ongband, Melkor's old fortress in the north of Middle-earth. She demands that Melkor fulfill his promise, and he feeds her many of the gems that he's stolen, but refuses to concede the Silmarils. Ungoliant overpowers him, and when he cries out in anguish, Balrogs from Ongband come to his aid. Ungoliant flees. Melkor names himself King of the World, placing the Silmarils in his crown, and he establishes Ongband. I think I pronounce Ongband three different ways. <laughs> so one of those is definitely right. <laughs> I was telling Dan, I think uh, when we last spoke, I think we're pronouncing Silmarils wrong. I think it's, <laughs> I read like on, on the Arda Encyclopedia, it's Silmaril. Are you kidding me? So, yeah, but I've never heard anyone pronounce it that way. <laughs> time for us just to pack I'm, up I'm and, fact and check you. Uh, admit defeat, you know, at this whole podcast. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> Sil no, I'm fact checking you. Uh, the singular form of Silmaril is pronounced Silmaril. <laughs> 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 that's definitely not how we're pronouncing it. I don't know if it's what I said, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Tolkien pronounces it different than you guys. <laughs> I was I was thinking about that. I want to hear him say all these names. Like Yeah. Because maybe I'm just oh, saying it with an American accent. Him doing there, there's there's clips of him talking about different aspects mm. of um Arda. Um and you get to hear his pronunciations, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um it very old English, so hmm. um, Ungoliant has to be the most terrifying bad guy in this, even though Morgoth and <laughs> Sauron are uh, more evil. Well, I don't, I don't even know if they are more evil. More, they have greater power. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's like it's a different kind of evil because Ungoliant yeah. just wants to consume you, versus like right. you know. Uh, Melkor wants to dominate you and use you to his purposes, but like Ungoliant is just like a monster from a horror movie. Yeah, yeah, the worst kind. Yeah, she's literally terrifying. And I love how we don't know how what her end is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Tolkien gives his uh, proposed ending. <laughs> He's mm -hmm. like, probably this way, which is probably the also the most terrifying conclusion to you, to you know what i think um i think in a sense like i don't know morgoth kind of his like big sin is pride right and uh, it even talks about that there was a certain humbling that he experienced when his fortress was first um taken over by the valar but 
now he's kind of back to his former pride. But Ungolia is more like gluttony or lust, like that she represents, you know? And, or greed. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She just like gluttony, consumes. Yeah, gluttony would be a good one. She just consumes, consumes, consumes. And Tolkien's kind of showing this is the end, you know, result of that kind of vice. Like you just consume and consume and consume, but you don't ever, you're never filled. You eventually just consume yourself completely, which is what he's suggesting happened to her. In similar to that, what I was struck by was Morgoth gets what he wants. He gets the Silmarils. He's escaped. He's on his throne. He sets an iron crown on his head. And we read these lines that his hands were burned black. And he was always in pain from the burning in his hands and the anger of the pain. Mm. And the crown became a deadly weariness. And like, that's just such a good description of like getting everything you wanted, but it's the wrong things. Mm -hmm. And they become a deadly weariness like that. That really stuck out to me. It's like they're his shackles now. Like, yeah, he's taken what he wants, but he's kind of like forfeited a certain freedom. He's just like burdened by these things that he now possesses. I mean, to be fair, it's his own fault for making it out of iron instead of some kind of magnesium alloy, which would have been far more comfortable. <laughs> what would you make your crown out of, Dan? Because I know Ma you've thought magnesium about alloy. If I was gonna, if I had to wear it all the time, some some form of that. Those aren't those aren't words. <laughs> How do you say alloy? A l l o a l l o y. It's the same. Aluminium. Oh, you do say it's the same as it's correct. Just <laughs> calmly. If you made it yeah, out so of aluminium, it'd be pretty light, right, Dan? Yeah. Only if you're Greek. <laughs> oh. If you're Latin, you'd have to make it out of aluminum. Hey, how about those Balrogs just loyal to Morgoth? They just like wait in the deep pits for ages until they need him and they just come out and that was that's also terrifying. Yeah, that was that would have been like a great action sequence, you know, in the in the film version of yes. the Silmarillion. Just like the, the just Balrog, the cry just, of anguish, yeah, the echoes yeah. turning into like never ending, just ag agonizing echoes, and then you hear this like like what happened in Moria in the Lord of the Rings films, like you hear these these <laughs> voices, yeah, drum. you just hear like banging, and then they come. I, you know, I was thinking. Speaking of Moria, I was thinking it would be like a Jurassic, sorry, Jurassic Park scene with the <laughs> the feet, the, the water, the glass oh, yeah. of water shaking. Yeah. Well, kind of. That's what I was thinking too. Like, because I I don't know. I'm not looking at a map, but I think Lamath is like back in Middle Earth. It's not in. Um, is that right? Lamath. I'll look it yeah. up. Like mammoth. Yeah. Um, but lambs. But lambs. Yeah. Wooly lambs. Um, I think he's back, but I w it, it made me think, you know, there's all these other living creatures there that must have heard this cry of anguish and just were like, what is that going, you know, and the dwarves probably heard that they're not that far away in the mountains. And they just heard like this, you know, screaming and agony, mm. shaking yeah, the for them, it'd be like it's haunted because you, yeah. you always hear these yeah. screams. Crazy. I'm glad I got to read Ungoliant because I'm I'm the scaredest of spiders between us all. <laughs> um, that was good. 
Ungoliant is... Dan, I think Ungoliant was the reason I read the Silmarillion, because you're like, <laughs> hey, you think Shelob's cool and scary? She has a mom. Yeah. <laughs> Who ate herself, probably. <laughs> um, so, Dan, you, ha you haven't read Beyond This Point, correct? Uh, I don't know. I think I have. But I don't know how far I've read beyond this point. Okay. What do you so think? So I, I definitely happen? don't, I don't really remember this, even though I've read it, which is a shame. I do, do remember do bits of it. Happen? I remember, you know, Morgoth and Ongoliant uh, getting into a lover's tiff mm. and okay. uh, parting their ways and her ending somehow, maybe. Um, I, I was struck, I think, as we were reading um, The Empty Promise of Morgoth on page 74. Mm -hmm. um, you have Melkor saying to Ongoliant, Do as I bid, and if thou hungest still when all is done, then I will give thee whatsoever thy lust may demand. Mm -hmm. Yea, with both hands. With both hands, right. Yeah. So then that comes back to him. He's like, kind of being a little dramatic and saying would thou have more like does thou desire all the world for your belly it's like almost kind of goading her um i did not vow to give that that's just a blatant lie um right. i am its lord um and she's even she's like not so much like i don't even need the world just give me stuff give me the treasure in your hands um i will have all of it Yea, with both hands yes. thou shalt give it. So he has to eat his is words. That, is that like a figure of speech to give with both hands, like to withhold nothing? But if it is, he it actually like bites him in a literal way where he's holding yeah. the somerals <laughs> in right. one hand, yeah, and refusing to feed with that hand, right? Yeah. But I love that it mentions in that part that you read from the previous reading that uh, even as he was making the vow, he laughed in his heart, like he just yeah. had no intention to keep this vow yeah lightly he made this vow yeah we 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 see there that he there's zero intention um yeah and he fulfilled his empty promise which i think is kind of it kind of speaks to who he is like he deals in treachery and yeah. deceit yeah. right angolian is evil in her own way but just like consumes and lusts and and is a glutton yeah and um, which I don't know if you knew this, Dan, but it, that's not a sin in the United States. <laughs> yeah, I heard yeah. there's only six deadly sins, right? The, the USCCB US came out and said it's no longer a sin <laughs> on Fridays. On Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> on fish fries at fish fries. <laughs> um, here's here's an interesting line that probably went by a lot of people and they didn't think it through. It was towards the end. Um, it says, and once only also did he himself wield weapon. So when uh, Morgoth is in um, Ongband, it's saying that, okay, from this point on, here's kind of a little prophecy, but only once does he wield weapon. Mm -hmm. And that, that's an interesting note to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Greg yeah. might be aware of what I'm referring to. I don't know. Might be. I might be. Um, I love that little setup though. We just we just get to wait. We get to put that on the back burner for now, and then when okay. it happens, a weapon will be wielded by Look, 
Just once. By Morgoth. Yeah, yeah look, look out for one weapon. Which again kind of speaks to who he is, right? He sends others to do his bidding. Yeah. And he's kind of burdened by the weight of his crown and the pain that he's like constantly experiencing. In a way, he's like his own prisoner in his fortress. Mm. I have a thought and just one other thing. Um, you may have other thoughts too, but my last little thought here. This is uh, in the middle of page 81. It says, um, And thus the fear of Yavanna that the Silmarils would be swallowed up and fall into nothingness did not come to pass, but they remained in the power of Morgoth. And I don't know, just what that made me think of was some of these discussions we've had about Manwe and if he's good and what he's doing. And um, I think one of the keys to understanding that is the will of Iluvatar, who, like, that's what Manwe does. He follows the will of Iluvatar most closely. And even though the Valar just suffered, like, probably the worst failure or defeat that they had ever experienced, the very worst thing that could have happened didn't happen. And it wasn't in their control at all. Like, if anything, by Melkor being greedy, he actually preserved these things, these Somerals, these beautiful things right. from Ungoliants, like, all-consuming gluttony mm -hmm. and and so something really terrible happened but it was kind of like the lesser bad thing it wasn't the absolute worst thing that could have happened and i think like probably people would say maybe may, people may suggest that that's iluvatar kind of working in subtle ways which would be kind of analogous to to grace like in our worldview that, you know, these things happen that aren't really, I don't know. They're, they're kind of like extraordinary. This is a simple moment that this thing that could be expected, this conflict between the two of them, but um, even just using these evil actors, like their own evil intent, the result actually was less bad than it could have been. That's a good insight. Yeah. I like that. That's all um, I got. I'm, I'm, no, it's I've, great. I've spent, uh, I've spent my words. You're spent. You're utterly spent. You just have, you're wearing your iron crown and you just mm. can't move anymore. Um, Greg, if you could make a crown, what would you make it out of? I'm just yeah. trying to think of birthday present ideas. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I, I think I would like a, a wooden crown. Yeah. But it would have to be like um, a really hard, sturdy wood. But like uh, maybe with some kind of coating to like, you know, protect it. Cool, like um, a rain. But coat? then with like like gold um, leaf, like yeah, engraved into it, you yeah. know. Nice. Yeah. I don't know what it would say or what design it would have, but. How about you, mm -hmm. uh, Cameron? I don't need a crown, Dan. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Though. Okay. You guys can... actually. I do have one more thought. <laughs> I imagine as you're reading, it, it says, uh, you know, when Melkor or Morgoth, now he's called, declares himself king. And he goes, you know, he goes to his, his fortress, but he raises up, I guess, these, uh, uh, these like peaks again, or he makes these gates on the peaks of Fangoradrim, the threefold peaks. And I just pictured like, that scene from Titanic. He like goes up to the top of one of the peaks and just spreads out his arms and yells, <laughs> I'm king of the world. <laughs> he's, 
He's a little cheesy, Morgoth. He's, he's like, One of the Balrogs is behind him. <laughs> uh, I, I really, like, the more we read this, the more I think James Cameron is really ripping off the Titanic. I mean, really ripping off the Silmarillion <laughs> when he made Titanic. Like, there's so many references in here. That's a hot take right there. I love it. <laughs> Just wait till you read Baron and Luthien, you know what I mean, Greg? Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never let go. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you like what you hear, go ahead and rate us three. Silmarils out of three. Um, And also, we'd love your feedback. So please, like if you you found an insight we didn't find, if you disagree with us, let us know. Um, You can let us know at beforethefellowship at gmail.com. You can follow us everywhere at beforethefellowship. And uh, join us next week as we read The Greatest Story You've Never Heard, The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien.